I just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today Live. Randy Robinson here on this Monday. And I, I got to tell you about a book that is dropping tomorrow. I mean, you could pre-order it today. It, it, tomorrow. It's it's everywhere tomorrow. Uh, but it's, it's one of those books that uh, conveys what, what used to be in our country uh, a pretty foundational idea, but seems to be being lost, uh, especially in what they're not teaching in a lot of schools today. And that is an idea that um, goes back to the core of who God created us to be. Now, if you've got kids or grandkids, this is great for them. But I got to tell you, this is something we all need to know. We need to be reminded of. And I don't, you, you may be, uh, you know, in the latter stages of your life. And uh, this is still applicable to you. You may need to hear this today to affect your next year, two years, five years, 10 years, maybe even generations. And so uh, I'm glad you're here. I think you're going to enjoy the topic. I will show you the book. It's called The Creator in You. It's by Jordan Rayner, who's been on the program a couple of times. I always enjoy talking to him. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, got beautiful illustrations. It's on a level that children can understand, which means you can understand it too. That's the good news. This is not one of those difficult conversations. Jordan, great to have you back on Life Today Live. Randy, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. So as, as I kind of hinted at, teased, said, this is not just a children's book. It is a children's book, but these are ideas that apply to every single one of us, and we need to know it. Uh, but in your words, what is yeah. this book about? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, this is a book about Genesis 1 that is totally unlike any children's book I've ever read my kids about Genesis 1, right? <laughs> and trust me, I've read them dozens of these books, and they all follow the same pattern, right? God created this on day one. He created that on day two, day three, four, five, six, the end. And I got to be honest, Randy, these books drive me a bit nuts because the six-day wasn't the end of creation. It was the beginning. Mm. It's when God passed the baton to his image bearers, said, go create like me. And then and only then said, okay, creation is now very good, right? And so mm. I wanted my kids to get this at an early age. So the creator in you is essentially a three act drama in three minutes, right? Act one is what you see in every other Genesis one book, although much more beautifully illustrated. I think you see God working and creating and shaping the world those first six days. But in act two, it says, and now you might think that our story is ending, but in fact, this is just the beginning because God made you to look like him, to mm -hmm. act and work and create with him. Because while in six days, God created a lot, there are so many things that he simply did not, like bridges and baseballs, sandcastles and s'mores. God asked us to create and fill the planet with more. And then the final act is just watching these kids respond to that truth, right? And filling the earth with art and lemonade stands and tree forts and spaceships and culture, right? And I think when our kids hear the message of this book, 
they, and, and frankly, a lot of the parents reading them, these books and grandparents are going to view their current and their future work with God-ordained purpose and joy. I think, you know, we live in a, a time where um, a lot of people spend their entire lives being, you know, a, a cog in a wheel. And I, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I'm just saying that, that we go, we kind of do our thing, we go home, we separate work from pleasure, and, and there's really not a lot of creation going on. There's a paying the bills kind of mentality. Uh, and yet you, what you're suggesting is that based on Scripture, we, as all people, uh, but certainly Christians should get this, we're called to do something other than just pay the bills. Yeah. Well, I think this is rooted in uh, we, we have a very narrow definition of creativity uh, in our day and age. We, we think the arts are creative. We do not think uh, my wife as a CPA is creative. But that's not what we see in Genesis 1. So the work of creation was both creating beauty and creating order and function, mm -hmm. separating light from dark, putting on, putting together a framework through which civilization could thrive and culture could be built. So I, th I think we need a broader definition of what creativity is. And I think we see that as God presents himself in Genesis 1, first and foremost, as the creator God. This is something we don't talk a lot about in the church. Before God tells us that he is loving or holy or just or omnipotent, the first thing he wanted us to know about himself is that he's a creator God. That has radical implications for how we think about creativity specifically and work in general today. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we do have that sort of artsy connotation, I yeah. think, uh, and, and really that that doesn't do justice to the idea. What what do you think the goal of creation should be? Ooh, man, that's a great question. <laughs> I think there's a lot of purposes for it. I think when you look at God creating the world uh, and, and you see the passage, especially in the Psalms talking about creation, I think God created for the pure joy of it. I think we can too. You know, Psalm 37, 23 says, God delights in every detail of the lives of the godly. So I think in one way, our work just is an expression of worship and bringing joy to the Father. But I think more functionally, more practically, I think we were created to help cultivate the kingdom of God. And I think you see that even right here in Genesis 1 and 2. There's this weird, bizarre verse in Genesis 2 that says that in Eden, this land that Adam and Eve were called to cultivate, under the earth there was gold, there was aromatic resin, and there was onyx. And then go fast forward all the way to Revelation 21, the second to last chapter of the Bible, and what do we see in the New Jerusalem? We see a city made of refined gold. We see gates made of pearls, which is refined resin. And we see onyx as one of the gems lining the walls of the New Jerusalem. Hmm. What's the point? I think this is God's poetic way of saying, hey, human beings, your purpose from the very beginning was to take this garden and unearth it and cultivate it and create the eternal kingdom of God. That's the purpose of our lives and our work today. Yeah, I also think that there is a, a, a holy calling to do things that will improve the lives of, of other people. 
Uh, and when that comes from the hands of Christians, there's a witness there as well. Uh, you know, and you, you go back and look at so many of, of the people we call inventors, you know, innovators, people that have made, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, a vaccine against smallpox or something, or uh, a, a better way to travel. You know, I mean, there's just, there's endless possibilities when you really start to go down that trail to say, how can we make this world a, a better place for, for each other? And what a great lesson to teach children early on as well. Yeah, it's such a basic lesson, but it's kind of the whole point, right? We are called to create order and joy and shalom in the mm. world. Like that's the purpose of human beings. And oftentimes it's when we are engaged in the arts and building hospitals and building great businesses that we win the respect of outsiders, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, mm -hmm. right? The way we're gonna be the most successful at the Great Commission in this next generation is by re-embracing the first commission, the call to create, because guess what? This generation of nuns is not stepping into a church to learn about God for the first time. So where are they gonna see his face? Where are they gonna see his glory? They're gonna see it in film. They're gonna see it in businesses. They're gonna be see it working alongside you and me filled with the spirit, working nine to five jobs in corporate America. That's how they're gonna see Jesus for the first time. So if we wanna win souls, if we wanna make sure that this next generation is here in the Great Commission, we gotta re-embrace the First Commission. Yeah, when you said generation of nuns, I heard N-U-N-S. You, you, you were saying N-O-N-E-S, nuns. N-O-N-E-S, yeah. This idea no religious that, affiliation. No religious affiliation. Yeah, and this is this is a troubling um, trend. I think a lot about this with respect to my kids. Yeah. They're going to school with, they're going to be going to college with, they're going to be playing sports with and working with the largest generation of kids with no religious affiliation on record. Yeah. Um, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for the mission of the church? I think it means we need to re-embrace the call to create as a means of making disciples. I, yeah, right, right. We need to reclaim the ground that we've lost because in a lot of ways we've abdicated it. Let, let, let's let's be honest. When your biggest innovators of, of technology or, or science or medicine or even even art, uh, whatever, whatever it is that's saying, hey, here's a new way to do something better, here's something that maybe never really been done before. When, when all of those people are... Um, secular outside the church outside of god they reject god you know uh that is that that is what the next generation pays attention to in other words if you're a christian uh you can think the world's against you and we, we get that in some ways it is the world's system anyway but if you walk in with something better than what anybody else has suddenly people don't care I mean, that's that is exactly right. that, that is the key that unlocks every door in every field. I think Christians are wising up to the fact that simply condemning culture isn't going to change culture. <laughs> right. The only way you change culture is by creating more culture, yeah. better, better culture, culture, more winsome culture, better stories that point to the true myth of Christianity. It's the only way it happens. Yeah. There's such a call. That, that is a call back to... Genesis one one, that that that's returning us <laughs> to the exactly original, it. right? That's exactly it. this is our design, yeah. right? Yeah. Again, before God said His creation was complete and it was very good, He had to put human beings to work mm -hmm. to create it, 
to fill the earth and subdue it. This is what it means to be truly human. This is what it means to be made in the image of God is rolling up our sleeves and working and making something more of this world. And here's, here's the thing about that the Christians need to know. You have a competitive advantage because you can talk to the creator of the world. There is nothing you're, you're going to invent that doesn't come from God's earth. I mean, you look at this, this amazing thing right here that I can find out anything. I used to have to go learn the Dewey Decimal System at the library to look up things. Now it's like I can talk to this little thing right here that fits in my pocket, and it will tell me things that I didn't know, right? It'll schedule things. Of course, I can talk to, I can talk to our missionary partners in, in Africa right now just by picking this thing up. Okay. What is the thing that runs this? It's sand. <laughs> it's yes. silicone chip. It's sand. Yeah. There is nothing that you need that is not in God's earth. And you can talk to the one who created it all, and yeah. he will talk to you. And I believe that Christians can be the most innovative, influential force on the face of the earth. We should be. We have the creator God living in us. And oh, by the way, we also know the end to which all of history is racing. Whether it's business or arts, whatever, everybody's trying to predict the future. We know the ending of this story. We have an object by which we can be racing towards. And the, the end is a city with culture here on a new earth with justice, with peace, with prosperity, with abundance for all, with lavish food and feasts. We know the ending and we can start to yank pieces of that eventual reality into the present in the way that we work and the way that we create. Absolutely. All right. Are you excited yet? You should be. And you should be teaching your kids. So Jordan, uh, we're talking to Jordan Rayner. This is the book, The Creator and You. And I'm going to jump over to the website uh, and let you talk me through a little bit of uh, some of the book because it's really pretty. I mean, it's it's nice. It's engaging visually. Yeah, and, and as you alluded to before, um, we uh, my vision for this was that, if I could be so audacious, was that this would be a Pixar movie. Nice. That the art would be so inspiring and the language would be so inspiring that it would work for a five-year-old and a 55-year-old, just like Pixar movies do. So yeah, if you look at the website, it says the sixth day wasn't the end of creation. We already talked about this. It was just the beginning. It's when God passed the baton to us and called us to create in his image. And that, that spread right there with the hands over these kids is him passing the baton uh, of creation. And then, yeah, the rest of the book is watching these kids build tree forts and someday cities and towers and ports like you see in the background there. It's just this beautiful montage that's meant to make kids inspired at, number one, how God creates and the things that he makes, which we see in the first third of the book. And then what they can make because uh, they're made in the image of that creator God. Yeah, and I, I love the fact that like the Pixar movies, because, you know, I had four kids, and some of the kids' movies were really rough. I mean, I got to where I, I was like, oh, my gosh, not that again, right? <laughs> uh, and now we're starting to relive it with a, with a grandson. And it's amazing, because then then the I remember when Toy Story came along, and I was like, yeah. I actually enjoyed that. <laughs> you yes, know? So exactly. It's, it's, thanks for That's keeping right. us adults in mind while you're putting something together that the kids you're will welcome. enjoy. <laughs> right. Uh, why do you, now I'm, I'm curious why, because you're not a, like, you're not a kid's book author actually, no. right? You know, no. you, I guess I am now. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I you mean, are now. Listen, 
my, my mission in life is to help Christians respond to this radical biblical idea that our work matters for eternity, right? Mm-hmm. And historically, over the last five years or so, I've been doing that through nonfiction books for adults, mm-hmm. podcasts, et cetera. But yeah, I, I, I just, um, I think it's because I got young kids. I was seven, five, and two-year-old. Mm-hmm. That was like, yeah, they. I want them to get this at an early age. And I think really epic, non-cartoony picture books could be the vehicle for that. Uh, and so that that's why I engaged in this project. And we've got another book in the works right now that we're working on to try to teach kids some other concepts uh, in this vein. And I love it. It's a lot of fun. It's it's super rewarding to come home and have your kids ask to read your book. That's cool. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Oh, I have not experienced that one. And my kids are adults. I should be reading my books. Uh, there you go. Uh, we'll, we'll talk later. Um, so <laughs> the book drops tomorrow, uh, and I, I you yeah. know, people obviously can go order it. Um, I'm assuming that there's been some pre-orders taking place, so you can get a little bit of a beat on. on what people are yeah. are wanting. I mean, is there an appetite for this out there? Uh, so praise God, I, it looks like we're going to be sold out before it comes out tomorrow. <laughs> oh. The good news is uh, my publisher printed more copies. So hopefully when you go to Amazon or wherever you buy your books, it'll still be available. If it's not, place your order anyways. More books are coming. Uh, but this is cool. We're doing something really cool this week. Um, if you order the book, before the end of the day, April 22nd, uh, and you wherever you want, and you go to jordanrainer.com, fill out a form there with your kids' names or your grandkids' names uh, and a physical address, and I'm going to send them these hand-signed, hand-dedicated stickers. So it'll say, to Jackson, to Oliver, whoever, may you always abound in the creativity of the Father. And I'm going to sign it. It's a really beautiful sticker that they could stick right inside of the book. And if your kids are like mine, the two things they love most in the world are number one, stickers, uh, and number two, receiving physical mail. So we're checking <laughs> all the boxes here. And again, you can get those at jordanrainer.com. I'll send you as many as you want. Oh, that that's a great idea. Uh, that's a nice little deal. All right. Well, I, I love the idea um, of teaching our kids to innovate and create. Uh, I'm going to sidetrack for just a second <laughs> and if, if there's something we hadn't hit you just like you just bring us right back because where do you where, where i forget where do you live what state i'm in tampa florida okay so you're in <laughs> you're in the free state of florida i'm in the free state of texas That's right um you know i am actually very concerned uh and disturbed about uh, in in other states especially, but we're still we're fighting them in our backyard. Uh, you know, literally the school district where my kids grew up we've had issues lately. Um, I I, it, I I I'm going to sound crazy, and when I say this to myself, I sound crazy to myself, but it's the reality. I think a lot of public schools want to kill our kids, and I say that because. They're teaching them things and they're wanting to do things to them in the public schools that are not healthy, uh, that is going to dis- destroy the psyche of many kids and possibly even physically harm them. Now, um, I know that's extreme. I know I, it's, it may seem small or rare. It's just over there. But if this trend continues, we got a problem. Does that concern you as a parent of three young kids? Yeah. Um, 
here's how I think about this. I mean, sure. Am I concerned about the the direction the culture is moving? Of course, right? I, I don't I don't know many people who aren't concerned about that. By the way, Christian and non-Christian alike. Um, but we've always been in exile. <laughs> I think I think American Christians feel like this is novel that we are in exile. It's always been this way. Mm. Christians have always been on the outside of society. It's very rare that we've had cultural power like we've had in the United States for the last 200 years. So I think we're just returning to exile, which is historically where the church has been and historically where the church has thrived if we refuse to isolate. Our response cannot be holding ourselves in Christian subcultures and waiting for heaven to come. That's not how Jesus said it's going to come. He mm -hmm. says heaven's going to come at least in part through you and me, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. doing his work as his ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation in this world. So am I concerned? Yes, but I'm not retreating. I'm engaging all the more. In fact, my kids are going to public school very intentionally because I want them to be salt and light in that increasingly dark space to be ministers of reconciliation, which is what scripture calls them to be. Yeah. I, uh, I like your attitude. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good attitude. Uh, and, and it's true. And you know, the, you, we gotta be careful listening to too much of certain media outlets because we're not to have, you know, a spirit of fear. We're, we're to, Amen. to boldly go forth. Uh, and so I, I appreciate that because I don't want to freak people out. Um, but there is also an opportunity in that, in, in that when things that are destined to fail, fail, yes, that we can be over here going, Hey, yes. we've, we've created something better, whether it's within a system or it's separate from the system. However, it works out to always have something better as an option again it goes right back to your whole book you do something better than anyone else has ever done it people are going to come whether they're believers or not and that just opens the door so you know it, we know that we know that the kingdom of god is better than anything this world can offer yeah. the yeah. problem is Christians aren't cultivating the kingdom of God. They're waiting for it. And that's not the call of the church. Yeah. If we were called truly cultivating the kingdom of God, cultivating beauty in our cities and justice and reconciliation and economic prosperity, oh my goodness, that would be the most winsome thing in the world. We would actually be spreading the aroma of Christ and we would be presenting a truly better alternative that would draw people to Jesus the King. Yeah. Yep, you have the right attitude. I needed to hear that today. And I think some other people out there needed to hear that too, because that I, I, I know that up here, but sometimes I don't feel it, you know? When, when you, I, oh, trust uh, me, I know. So I know. Here, here's one other thing that I, that I find interesting, because uh, I, I just a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed a guy named Andrew Clavin. Um, he's on The Daily Wire. I love Andrew Clavin. Oh, so yeah, yeah you should go back and watch that interview, because he's got a new book out called The Truth and the Beauty. Yeah. And he looks at art, in this case, English yeah. romantic poetry, um, to see God. Because in the creation of something beautiful, he argues, uh, you, you tap into the divine. A hundred percent. There's there's one of my all-time favorite stories about C.S. Lewis that not a lot of people know. I, I think illustrates this perfectly. 
So when Lewis was 17, he was already like well steeped in his atheism, right? Uh, rationally, there was no case for God in his mind. But he was sitting in a train station. He was bored. So he got up and he bought a book from the little, you know, book newsstand there. It was this book called Fantasties. And he sat there and read it and had just this spiritual experience. The book did not mention Jesus's name, but he said there was something so beautiful and so true about that book that, that the case for atheism started to chip away in his mind. Nice. And it wasn't until years later that he was talking with Tolkien and Tolkien sharing the gospel with them that Lewis brings up this, this book called Fantasties. And Tolkien says, you know that book was written by George MacDonald, who was a Scottish pastor. He was a believer. Like the seed he planted in your heart was a seed of the kingdom. But it took art to make Lewis aware of these deep longings in his heart that paved the way for him to accept the rational truth, the rational arguments that Christianity had made. That book is what birthed Lewis's faith. That book is what birthed Narnia, which is, by the way, been doing the exact same thing for yeah. the last 75 years in the yeah. hearts of many people around the world. Yeah. I, and, you know, I, here's here's the thing I think people don't necessarily get is is you talk about those things and you go, oh, yeah, well, that's C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was nobody special until God sparked that in him. And what Jordan's saying is, is God wants to spark that in you and in your children and in your grandchildren and, and in those that you then reach like George McDonald sparked it in C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis sparked it in so much. This is, this is the divine creation that God expresses. It's, it's expressing him through us. I yes. love, I love it. I absolutely love it. That's it. You nailed it. <laughs> I nailed it. You wrote it. Uh, and who's your illustrator by the, by the way? Oh my goodness. This brilliant guy. His, his name on the cover is Jonathan David. It's a pen name, but I'm going to out him out. Uh, I've already <laughs> outed him out. His name's, his real name is Jonathan Voss. And I can say this because I had nothing to do with the illustrations. I, I honestly believe this is the most beautiful book I've ever held in my hands. Like it, it, it is extraordinary so much so that we're having people asking to buy prints of the art. Mm. I'm framing the art in my home. Mm. Um, it's stunning, stunning. Uh, I can't believe I get to work with this guy. And we're going to work together, Lord willing, for a really long time. Well, and I think the beauty of that is that you never know, with, especially with children. I, I remember things that I grew up with that st you know stick with me even today. And so, like, this this picture here where you've got a couple of kids looking up at the Aurora, Aurora Borealis with the mountains in the sky, those are the kinds of images that when you're a kid, man, that – says something to you which goes right back to you know what we're talking about how you know beauty whether it's art art that reflects god's creation that does something in us especially in a child who is innocent and childlike and and is more open to things and not as jaded as a lot of adults are so my, I, I my prayer is listen it's a short book you can literally read it in three minutes. My prayer is that kids would have, some kids would have this memorized. Mm. And when they are in high school and college and starting to think about what's next, that it would be seared in their minds, the words and the imagery that, man, 
I can glorify the God, not just by being a missionary working overseas, but I can be a missionary and culture creator right here. Yeah. I can do it in Hollywood. I could do it at my local news station. I could do it in business. I could do it wherever God sends me. I could be his representative, his image bearer, making others aware of his kingship over this world. I love it. I love it. And that's a message for all of us. Jordan, appreciate you, man. I appreciate yeah. your, your, your time, your talent, uh, and the way you express, I think, what is God's heart. So thanks, man. Appreciate you. Thank you, Randy. Be sure to check out The Creator in You. If you already get this, then just go ahead and get some and start handing them out. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you're going you're gonna to bless people when you point them back to the, the creative God that we have and the, the divine calling that we have. So let's go, let's go be better. And Jordan's point, I, I've said it before, but sometimes I need to hear it. It's not, we're not called to curse the darkness. We're, we're, we're called to, to light the candle. And that creative spark is a light in the darkness. So let's go be it. Appreciate you guys being here. This is the book. You can find it uh, wherever you buy books. Uh, you can get it at uh, jordanrainer.com as well. Right there, jordanrainer.com. And come back. We've got more great interviews all this week right here on Life Today Live.